This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 100 The Disappearance of Diane Agat On Wednesday, April 15, 1998, 59-year-old Mildred Young returned home to a missed message on her answering machine. Upon pressing play, she could hear a frantic and terrified voice on the other line, crying out, Help! 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 Let me out! Mildred immediately became worried as the voice on the other end was none other than her own daughter, Diane. Mildred continued listening to the message and could hear the sound of scuffling, as though someone was grabbing the phone and another voice was heard. Hey, give me that. And the call was abruptly ended. Join us as we discuss and unravel the strange and mysterious disappearance of Diane Augett. Diane Louise Young was born on February 21st, 1958, to James and Mildred Young. Diane spent most of her youth in New York, before relocating with her family to the Tampa area of Florida. This is where she would spend the rest of her days. In the late 1970s, Diane married Frederick Augett. For a period of time after, she lived the ideal life. She became a stay-at-home mother and cared for their three children, two daughters and a son. To those around her, she was often referred to as very neat and kept a tidy home. She was also described as beautiful and was a hit at parties. Unfortunately, in the late 1980s, Diane was diagnosed with what we now know as bipolar disorder. She began treating the mental illness with medication, but over time stopped taking it, which caused her mental health to suffer as a result. In 1988, Diane was accused of committing child abuse after seeking an excessive amount of unnecessary treatment for one of her children, a mental illness we now know as Munchausen by proxy. She was eventually acquitted of the charges. However, the state continued to pursue a case against her, believing the charges to be legitimate. The children were eventually removed from her care. In 1991, 
Diane and her husband, Frederick, divorced. This caused Diane's mental state to worsen. Over the next several years, Diane found herself in and out of jail and mental health facilities. Many would say Diane would constantly have conversations with herself and would hang out with anyone who would be her friend. This would escalate when she was having a manic episode and caused her to get into people's faces and was most likely a cause for her getting into trouble so often. As time progressed, Diane developed a drinking problem and began using drugs. She was involuntarily committed to mental health facilities at least 32 times under the Baker Act, which allowed a judge, police officer, or doctor to decide whether or not someone was mentally ill enough to pose a danger to themselves or others. The most recent stint was in 1998, which resulted in her being released under the care of her loved ones that spring. On April 10th, 1998, Good Friday, Diane Augett was seen alive by her family for the last time. She had been released from a mental health facility just two weeks prior and had been staying with their sister in Hudson. On the morning of April 10th, Diane was last seen by her sister whom was leaving for a doctor's appointment that morning. When she returned later that day, she was surprised to find the house completely empty. Diane was nowhere to be found. It was later reported that Diane had left the house at roughly 11 a.m. Later that day, Diane was seen at the Hayloft Tavern, located off of Little Road and State Road 52. Diane was there till she was eventually forced to leave. She was then reported missing the following day on April 11th, 1998. It wasn't unusual for a Diane to disappear in the past, generally only being gone for a day or two. However, in this case, she went missing for several days, leading to the strange recording left on Mildred's answering machine on April 15th. To Diane's family and loved ones, the call seemed to confirm that she was in serious trouble this time, especially since that was the longest she had been away. When Mildred attempted to call back the number Diane had called her from, the name Starlight appeared on her caller ID. Despite how many times she tried to call the number back, There was never any answer. The same day the mysterious message was left on Mildred's answering machine, a human finger was found along U.S. Route 19 near New York Avenue at approximately 4 p.m. by a woman walking to work. She told her boyfriend later that evening about the situation because she assumed it to be a fake. The following day he went to check it out, The fingernail on the finger was painted with red fingernail polish and was ultimately very real. He then reached out to the Pasco County Sheriff's Office who quickly arrived on the scene to investigate. After investigating into the found finger, it was matched to the missing Diane Augett. 
Due to previous arrests, they were able to match her fingerprint in the database. At that point, a thorough search was conducted in the area, even bringing in a helicopter to scan the area from the sky. Despite their efforts, no other trace of the missing 40-year-old woman was found. The police did not believe that Diane had left by herself. It was said that she didn't even have a vehicle of her own. It was theorized that due to this, and the fact that she was overly willing to trust anyone while not on her medication, she may have willingly gone with someone intending to do her harm. On Saturday, April 18, 1998, a convenience store manager, Patricia Splendorio, discovered a neatly folded pile of clothing inside of an outdoor freezer. Due to the news of Diane's disappearance gaining traction in the media, she immediately recognized the clothing as Diane Augets. Patricia then reached out to Diane's sister, Deborah, who confirmed the clothing was in fact hers. It was then theorized that the clothing may have been put in the freezer by some of the people Diane had been hanging out with in the weeks following her disappearance. They also believed these people were the same people who began looting Diane's home around the time of her disappearance. It was believed that Diane had allowed these juveniles, as described in newspaper reports, to hang out with her in her home and throw parties while she was away. Despite the theories, it was impossible to know when the clothing had been placed in the freezer as the staff hadn't checked it in approximately three weeks, and Diane had been missing for eight days at this point. Over the following weeks, authorities began receiving dozens of tips from potential witnesses that believed that they had seen Diane in the surrounding area. One witness claimed to see her on the afternoon of April 11th, between 3 p.m. and 4 p.m., walking along New York Avenue. If accurate, that would put Diane in the location where her finger was later found. Also, this would extend her last known whereabouts by an entire day. Another witness came forward, a waitress at the inn on the Gulf in Hudson. She claimed to see Diane on the same day that the message was left on Mildred's answering machine. However, no additional details or confirmation was ever provided. Despite the claims that came through, no real details seemed to develop into anything of significance. Eventually, the case of Diane's disappearance began to fade from the headlines by the end of April. In November of 2000, Diane's story would make headlines in the Tampa area once again. Her parents spoke about her life openly. They spoke of her mental illness and her struggle after losing custody of her children and divorcing her husband. At this point, the Pasco County Sheriff's Department confirmed that they continued to investigate into Diane's case and treated it as an ongoing investigation. On April 25, 2000, Terry Wilson, Diane's brother's girlfriend, 
walked into a Circle K convenience store along Highway 19, just north of Hudson, near Viva Villas, a neighborhood that Diane frequented. Inside the store, Terry spotted a bag of random knickknacks sitting on the lottery ticket counter. On the bag was the name, Diane. She assumed it may have something to do with her boyfriend's sister's disappearance, and took it back to Diane's family. The police were immediately informed on the discovery. Inside of the bag were an assortment of things that Diane would have had on her around the time of her disappearance. The clear plastic bag held things like black eyeliner, taboo perfume, bright pink lipstick, and a tube of generic toothpaste. It was later determined that the brand of toothpaste was the same one issued by the mental health facility Diane had left before her disappearance. However, this posed the question as to why it was there at that time. At around 4 a.m. on Wednesday, June 27, 2001, a group of men in black ski masks carrying firearms barged into the office of the Coral Sands Motel in Hudson, Florida. The motel manager, Rose Casper, was hit in the face, causing her to yell out to her boyfriend and co-manager, Gary Evers, who was in the back room. By the time he made it out, they had hit the woman multiple times and then fled. The following evening, on June 28th, Gary Evers invited a man who he believed to be one of the ones wearing ski masks the previous day back to the motel. The man... 26-year-old Todd Cammers was a young man with a history of burglary and other criminal acts. Gary believed that he was the one that had battered his girlfriend. Gary then proceeded to pull out a 9mm pistol and asked the young Todd Cammers if he was responsible. It is not certain how the man replied, but Gary opened fire emptying two entire magazines into the 26-year-old's body. On the morning of Friday, June 29th, 52-year-old Gary Robert Evers was taken into police custody and charged with first-degree murder. It was discovered that Evers had no real prior criminal history. It was also revealed that the 26-year-old Todd Cammers had in fact nothing to do with the men who came in and battered Evers' girlfriend. He had only came that night to attempt to clear his name. Unfortunately, this is a terrible case of a person in the wrong place at the wrong time. Gary Evers was later sentenced to life in prison in April of 2004, and he remained in the Florida State Prison System until his death in May of 2012. So the question stands, what does Gary Evers have to do with the case of Diane Augett's disappearance? It was reported by Diane's family that Gary Evers had been one of the investigator's main suspects back in 1998. The Coral Sands Motel that he co-managed was one of Diane's last known locations and was also located a short distance from where she was last seen alive and also very close to the store where the bag of Diane's belongings was found. 
Unfortunately, there has been no real development in the disappearance of Diane Augett. At this time, her story remains unresolved. If she is still alive today, she would be 65 years old, and likely still suffering from mental illness. Her once dark strawberry blonde hair would have likely grayed at this point. She stood 5 feet and 4 inches tall at the time of her disappearance, and weighed approximately 130 pounds. There is still a $3,000 reward for information leading to her whereabouts. Anyone with information can reach out to Crime Stoppers of Tampa Bay at 1-800-873-TIPS, T-I-P-S, or submit a tip online. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We are your hosts. I am Ryan. And I am Jordan. And now the debrief. Welcome back. This is episode 100. Oh shit, 100. 100. Episode 100. Yeah. It's our centennial. It is. This is a, This is like a, a hype episode, man. It is. You got to got to bring that hype. Let's do it. Man. It Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> it it is. honestly It's awesome. Yeah. And like we, you know, we went super deep into this and talked about it a long time on the pre-post companion show that you should definitely go over to patreon.com slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling and subscribe so that you can hear it do yourself a favor yes every week there is a pre-post companion show and uh we went we went deep on this but like we definitely got to touch on it it's episode 100 yeah it's a huge deal it's a i mean this is like a major milestone for the show absolutely we're it's coming up on what two, two years? Two years. Yeah. Damn. The end of July. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we're like two months away from our two year anniversary. Well. Congratulations, Ryan. Yeah, you too. Congrats. It's huge. And you know, not only is it our our hundredth episode, but like just everything else that you know, all these milestones we've been hitting with the show. And numbers-wise, everything, like, I mean, I, I couldn't ask to be doing better than we are right now. I mean, of course, I, yeah. I would always love more. <laughs> but, right. you know, like, I, I'm, yeah, I'm blown away. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, sometimes it's just hard for me to kind of fathom yeah, where we've kind of came. And again, we did, yeah. we did talk a lot more in-depth about it on the pre-post companion show. But, uh, you know, it... I wasn't sure where this show was, was actually going to go when we started to do it. Yeah. Me too. I'm, so... Yeah. I felt the same. It it took a while to realize, like, oh, this is the thing we're going to do for a very long time. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it feels, I mean, that, that makes it feel all the better because, like, I mean, the, how long we talked about doing podcasts and this idea, that idea and everything else before, like we actually finally put this show together and came up with the premise and, you know, started hashing everything out and like, you know, in our early planning stages and seeing how far we've come. And also the fact that none of us really knew if it was actually going to be something we were going to stick, you know, stick with or 
even really yeah. enjoy doing, right? So, it's, yeah. And I mean, we and we've talked before about the fact that we've been, you know, creative collaborators for each other basically our whole lives. I mean, yeah, of um, course. Since we were tiny youngins, Shit, almost right? thirty years. Yeah. That's coming up on 30 years quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this podcast is far and away the most successful collaboration we've ever had. Oh, yeah. I agree. I agree. Like, by far. And, you know, not to talk shit about the bands that we've been in over the years, because I've loved them, but none of them have even come close to, to you know being embraced and even experienced by the number of people who have listened to this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Not even close. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Um, I think it's, it's that too. And the fact that like, you know, when it, when it comes to other, like playing in bands and stuff like that, I mean, you know, like, yeah, that's uh, I mean, it's another thing I absolutely still love doing. I still love playing music and whatever yeah. else. Uh, but it's like it's a whole different type of thing as well and like it makes it a lot more convenient that it's just you and I we don't have to worry about like other schedules and stuff like that yep. I mean you know and we can we can do this as we want to and plus it's like we have full control over everything you know exactly. and that's another big thing and it's all stuff that we just really genuinely like talking about so like I mean you know it makes it less of an actual task and more of like what kind of weird shit can we get into this time? Yeah, exactly. It's so yeah. it's much it's much more convenient to only be married to one man instead of four. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or some easier. of the bigger bands we've had where there's been like six, six or more of us. Yes. Yeah. Good lord, it's, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. It's so much. Um, just having to balance all those personalities. You know what yes. I mean? It's, forget about the schedules, the personalities of And the then people. packing all those people into one vehicle and yep. trying to make that work. Yeah. It's, that's, yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to say. Like, I remember, you know, being in bands, touring, gigging every weekend, whatever, and occasionally, you know, dabbling in social media to get you know, to get the word right. out. Right. Yeah. And I remember looking at those bands that were like really leaning into like YouTube videos and stuff and thinking of them as like less than like they were taking a shortcut. You know what I mean? And That's you know, fair. those bands like uh, the bands that were constantly posting like covers of pop songs, metal, metal right. covers of pop mm-hmm. songs and stuff like that. Um, paying like, whoever johnny craig whatever to do like a guest spot for 500 bucks well, on a now song it's old, old boy from sleeping with sirens he's the yeah yeah the new kellen <laughs> kellen quinn <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah yeah but um i always thought of them as like less than right like they weren't doing it right but now i completely get the appeal oh yeah without a doubt like because that's basically how you run a podcast I'm, is how they're yeah. running their band yep you know um, I mean, bands that get absolutely massive, on basically playing no shows. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. But I mean, like, shit, you can you can do that though now. Like, yeah, 
You can be a that's YouTube crazy. star yeah. with your band. That's that's yeah. true. I I instantly think of our last night. Oh yeah, yeah. That's they're one of those bands, right? And like full respect to those guys because I think they figured something out a lot earlier than a, than people did. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, they've been they've been than going for did. a while. Yeah. And that's pretty much always been their approach, right? Like they run their band the same way you'd run a YouTube channel or a podcast. Like most of it is done in the privacy of their own homes and studios and they don't have to they're they don't have to they're not out there like grinding, like eating fucking day-old bread from Jimmy John's and sleeping in Walmart parking lots and all that shit. Mm. Yeah, I think they figured it out. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's just I don't know. It's crazy. It it's just, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, and that's uh yeah. It feels good. You know, I'm just leaving it that. It feels good. And I'm pumped. I'm pumped to see where we go, you know. Yeah. Like I think I think we're we're just getting started. Agreed. We I think this like recent broadening of our horizons, I think we're going to like really attack this next hundred episodes and I expect I fully expect to crush it yeah yeah so Spotify buy our show yeah buy it now or anybody else (laughs) we'll give you a fair price yeah buy it now while it's cheap yeah exactly (laughs) we'll do the work for you trust me it'll be much more (laughs) it will be much much more expensive when we have a million downloads a week (laughs) I mean yeah at that point, we don't need to sell it anymore. We'll have thousands of patrons. Yeah. 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 That's the plan. We can dream at least. <laughs> yeah. So once again, go over to patreon.com slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling and subscribe. Yeah. Subscribe. Check it out. Get in while it's cheap. Yes. <laughs> the pot's nice and hot. Yeah. Dive in. <laughs> Let me just quickly apologize because I think I accidentally dragged in some of the pre post companion show energy into the main episode. <laughs> I love it. I just yeah. love the title pre post companion show. Yeah, Plus, I mean, favorite. there's other stuff. You know, there's other stuff over there. There's some other shows. Yeah. Some videos out, and CPN news, some behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. It's a good time some show notes yeah and we're you know again we're working on continuing to build it up and make it even better so but pre-post companion shows are next step in that process and it's been going solid absolutely it's a lot more content i mean that we have to do but uh that you can also enjoy again patreon.com forward slash campfire tales is strange and unsettling end of commercial (laughs) (laughs) let's get right into it yeah, this uh, is this is just a little weird one. Um, yeah, I mean nothing like over the top. I mean, she might have gotten abducted by aliens. I don't know. Sure, and lost maybe a finger the, along the way. <laughs> maybe it was the alien who grabbed the phone out of her hand and said, "Hey, give me that." <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're making light on a yeah. terrible situation. I mean, they they never specified whether "Hey, give me that" was telepathic or not. Well, it was said that Mildred, the mom, heard a woman's voice, another woman, saying "Hey, give me that." Right, but did she hear it in her mind or with her? She ears? heard it on the answering machine. Oh, okay. That's probably with <laughs> her ears then. But maybe it was telepathically 
hang on, how would this work? It's like a <laughs> it's like a telepathic like send later message, right? Scheduled yeah. message. There we go. That's the word I was looking yeah. for. A send yeah. later message. All right. <laughs> but a, a telepathic, telepathic scheduled message. Yes. I like it. I like it. Maybe. So I wrote in my notes that her message said, help, let me out. Right? Yeah. Um, But my horrendous handwriting, it looks like, help, let me out. Like a kitty. Meow. Help, meow. Um, yeah. It, I mean, just the... The call, the call is one of the weirdest parts about this case. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, this is also the days of caller ID, which a lot of, you know, younger listeners might not even know what that is these days because your phone is just tells you who's calling regardless. But boys and girls and anyone in between, back in the day, we used to have caller IDs. It was a separate little box. (laughs) Before yep. that was built into your phone that uh, you would have and it would tell you who was calling and the number and yeah. So it was easier yep. to screen your calls. <laughs> yeah. And there uh, were no names. It didn't say like Tom Johnson is calling. It was a phone number that you had to remember. But then you had to later recognize on, the phone number. Phone companies yeah, yeah. started started incorporating the names into it. So then it was well, I remember those OG ones, like you said, the like separate box. With a tiny little rectangular yeah. screen that just a phone number popped up on. But then, yeah, as, as time progressed, they started putting them into... Yeah, it got more sophisticated. Landlines were still, I mean, they were a big part of our childhood. Absolutely. Getting to use the phone when it was free, or yep. having to tie up the phone line so you could, you know, go online. Yeah, on dial-up. Yeah. Um, I, re- I remember we had a landline that was like in the living room but it was right against the wall between the living room and the kitchen and i remember to talk to ladies i would i would have to walk around through the door into the kitchen stretch the cord all the way around into the kitchen and sit behind the island in the kitchen with the phone cord wrapped all the way through two rooms well see back back in those days especially if you'd have a cordless phone yep you always bought those long ass cords so you could yep. like walk the around. Ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Walk around while you're on the phone and like, you know, be more mobile. Yeah. And you're like knocking pans over because you're trying to talk yeah. and cook at the same time. Right. And, exactly. Yeah. Or you get too far and then the, the phone pulls <laughs> out from your ear because you're not actively holding on to it. It's just like pressed up against yep. your shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. It just launches. Yeah. And yeah. then it hurts your ear as it's getting pulled back because <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Man. Struggles. Like if someone rips out your air, your earbuds. Right. It felt a bit like that. Yeah. Um But yeah, I also when those when your phone got old and shitty and started to fall apart, every once in a while you'd be doing that and the cord would actually come unplugged from the oh, ear yeah. unit. Yep. And you'd have to like run over and grab it real quick and so that the person you're talking to, you know, so you could hear them. So they didn't yeah. think you hung up on them. Uh, the old days. Okay, so this message, it was on an actual answering machine. That's yes, where she heard on it. A physical it wasn't a call machine. that she picked up. No, so she, like, basically either came home or missed the call or something. But had had a missed message on her answering machine, which 
should listeners yeah. for all you youngsters out there back in the days of color id we also had separate boxes that we used for getting voicemails yeah exactly. where it was actually on like an actual physical tape cassette people don't even listen to fucking voicemails anymore it's all visual voicemail now. i mean yeah oh yeah like but it was again separate thing your yep. messages came on it when you did not answer your call like a voicemail it, yeah if you were cool enough to have all of the phone accessories of the early nineties, you needed a a full table yeah. for all your phone shit. Yeah, I mean, we always had like a table for like the caller ID, the answering machine, and everything. Yeah. yeah, same. The phone itself, all right there on. Ours was always the um, the because my dad growing up had one of those super long console record players. The like big wooden yeah, like console that. record players, mm-hmm. and the middle of it would, you know, it looked like a, like a, um, like a buffet. Yeah, right. But like the middle of it lifted up, and the record players there in the middle. I had one um, of those when I was a kid that I wish I still had because it was right so cool. Yeah, had eight track and cassette record. Yep, yep. yep. But the left side of it. It was always the left side, like the part, the left half that didn't lift up. It, um, that's where all of our phone shit was right on there. Nice. Yep. It's awesome. The phone table. Those answering machines were enormous too. Yeah. They're like the early, early ones. Yeah. I mean, in those days you could go to the store and pick up a three or a five or a 10 pack of cassettes and, you know, be on your way. Yep. yep. But and uh, then later it was the <laughs> mini cassettes. Yeah. Yep. All right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Just little um, guys and yeah, man, it's weird. Yeah, you go to Radio Shack and buy a you know answering machine and a caller ID, Circuit City and, uh, maybe. Yeah, and eventually the eventually the phone carriers, like Bell, the phone carriers eventually would um, send out a caller ID, like just with the service you'd get a caller id box instead of having to go buy one yeah anyway it's just weird out of this uh walk through nostalgia yeah i was gonna say it's just weird to think about actually all right anyhow um, yeah so there was an actual physical message on an answering machine so okay. she's playing it back and i mean imagine the way that this woman's feeling she's hearing her yeah. her daughter like crying out for help and she can't yeah. do shit about it yeah it's crazy because like, it's not even in real time. She's hearing something that already right. happened. So she's trying to call yeah. back this number, and the only the only thing she finds about this number is the name of of the place, Starlight. Starlight. Which the only the only thing that roughly around that area was a uh, strip club that's okay. now been renamed, and I can't remember what it's been renamed to. But it was like Starlight okay. Lounge or something like that back at back at that time. Gotcha. And so So is this like a late nineties sex trafficking case? I don't know. It could be. It very well right? could be. Yeah. She, I mean in those situations the the captives are often groomed by former captives too. So that could explain the fact that the voice was another woman. Was it, right. Yeah. Thing. Hmm. The fact that it the call came from a strip club that uh I mean see I I don't know for sure 
But that was the name on the caller ID was Starlight. Okay. So yeah, it's but I mean it's it's never been a hundred percent confirmed. That's exactly where you know where that was from. Yeah, which I don't think would be very hard to find out. I mean, especially getting phone records and you know, I mean, yeah. it was a business. I mean, it was a business number. So yeah. yeah. Anyhow, you know, just kind of weird. But yeah, so I mean, just yeah, just that feeling of of just knowing that there's literally nothing you can do and who knows at that point because this is she's already been been reported as missing this is a week later yeah and she gets this message is this before or after the finger no it was the same day it was the same day the finger april 15th of the finger yes yeah they were the same day so if you think about it um obviously finding the finger is weird to begin with but they wouldn't know they wouldn't know for sure that it was hers for quite a while, right? I mean, yeah, or they would have they, to. Do they do it through? Did they identify it? Do you know through fingerprints or did they identify it through? Okay, so that's a yep. bit faster. Yeah, so like, I mean, she had already been in the system, of course. Yeah, uh, she was in and out of jail, and you know, different. Which we also need to talk about, right? Right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they were able to quickly identify who whose it was. Okay. Yeah. Because that's a that's a huge part of this story too, is like you can't overlook the fact that she did have like severe mental health issues. That's yes, and so and at that time, uh, she she was uh, diagnosed with uh, you know obviously a manic very like manic disorder now of course bipolar disorder, um, yeah. you know and so she was actively taking medication. It was she. I mean she. Would, you know, she had been balanced out. Everything was good, but anytime she would go off of her medication, she would be very erratic. I mean, she was willing to trust anybody that she came in contact with, and it was often said that anytime she was off her medication, she would put herself in, around you know people of uh, kind of the bad variety. You know, put herself in around crowds folk. and right. Um, yeah. I mean, just even talking about like them theorizing you know the possibility that these juveniles as they were reported in on the the media um but that she had like gotten involved with this crowd and started letting them just stay at her house when she wasn't home and throw parties and then apparently they think they're the same people who started looting her house and all that other stuff too right um so so the looting stuff happened after she went missing yeah right yeah but uh pretty quickly like yeah that's that's very strange. So like once they realize oh like she might not come back, let's just take everything. Well, right before she went missing, she was at a mental health facility for right a while before that. Okay. So I think I think the looting started kind of started before before and after around that time. Um, yeah, because then she was released back into her with her family, and their you know of course parents and her family didn't want her to go back to her house. So yeah. they, she was staying with her sister. Okay, and that's where she went missing from. Yes, yeah. what she was. Yeah, because that morning the on the what was it the tenth? Her sister had a doctor's appointment, and um, Dan was Dan was still there when she left, um, and was wasn't there when she got back. And it was later reported by neighbors that someone had seen her around eleven a.m. Right. Um, you know, and then she was seen at the Hayloft Tavern. 
Right. That day, right that afternoon. Yep. And they ended up kicking her out. Uh, you can assume it was late, right? Like she drank from the afternoon until she got obnoxious I, in the evening. Yeah, and I would think so. Got, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, so kind of piecing, piecing that together. So, yeah. You know, she goes out. She probably hitched a ride. Apparently, she was known for hitchhiking a lot. She never had her own car. Um, you know, so I mean, it, yeah, you. I mean, it's those situations, right? Those situations yeah. are very opportune situations for predators. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. Yep. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's another the scary part about it. Absolutely, I mean, especially someone who, when they're in a manic state, becomes so trusting of strangers, so open to any like small group, anything that might give and her everything some as well. And yeah, and plus, you know, she started to develop a drinking and a drug problem, and yep. So yeah, I mean, that's just. That is a definite, you know, a recipe for disaster at that point. I mean, what's another option here? Because right now we're talking like maybe she got hammered at the bar. She went out. She encountered someone with, you know, bad intentions who snatched her. Right. Yeah. Um, But is there a chance that given her, you know, mental health state, her status as an addict um is there a chance that she could have orchestrated this herself Hmm. you know that's possible um i i would think it's possible i wouldn't put anything past anybody you know like right i mean especially given the right state of mind and maybe she didn't want to have to deal with you know going back into the system or going back to any of these these facilities that she's been involuntarily been put into so many times 32 times under the Baker Act yeah that's crazy completely against her will because she was deemed as too ill to be able to care for herself or was an endangerment to herself or others right so which I mean that that right there is, is I mean crazy but her family always said that they should have she should have been permanently placed. Yeah. Because it seems of, that way. You know how right how bad off she was. I mean they 32 times they deemed her a danger to herself or others. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. 32 so times. I, that's that's a lot, man. That's yes. a lot. Um Yeah, and that's I mean that there's a, there's a lot to be said for the value of the Baker Act, really. As you know, you get a lot of people who sort of the modern liberal stance on, say, the homelessness problem. <clears throat> the this idea that like, oh, they're just living their their life the way they want to live it. Right. And that's how these like liberal meccas like that you see in like Portland and San Francisco, the streets end up filled with homeless people. Right. Just tent cities popping up next to like, you know, Silicon Valley skyscrapers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But the Baker Act, which, by the way, no longer exists. It right. was ruled unconstitutional. Hey, um, which it absolutely is. <laughs> but I, I feel, personally, I feel that it's a necessary tool for for some situations um i I think think very unique situations i think it's way less unique than i wish it was i think like because i think with uh we're talking about homelessness right i think one of the obviously one of the primary issues uh, among the homeless community is mental illness yeah that's true it's it's huge and a lot of the reason why we have such a crisis with homelessness right now is because medical professionals are no longer able to get those to make those people get the help that they actually need. They're saying like, well, this this guy wants to live in the street. And it's like this guy isn't even himself right now. Yeah. Like he needs to be medicated, he needs to be like made better made well and then he can make a an informed decision about whether he wants to sleep in a dumpster or in a bed i mean yeah you know what i mean like so what i'm the point i'm making this is way more political than we ever get on this show but like the point (laughs) i'm trying to make is the point i'm trying to make is that the baker the baker act actually did do a lot of good in this case i don't know if she really needed to be thrown in a in an institution 32 times over the course of just a few years, right? Yeah. Um, it seemed to me like they were just like 72 hour holding her over and over and over again. I mean, probably, yeah. Instead of actually like treating her and giving her any kind of long term, you know, plan. Yeah, because I mean, it was. So she was born in '58. Um, and then in the eighties, she was diagnosed with bipolar or being, is right. being bipolar. So, so over I mean, like a decade. Yeah. She struggled, she struggled she, obviously with mental yeah. health, you know, up to that point until she right. was finally diagnosed, you know? Yeah. So yeah. And then at that point she's, there's finally a name to what she's been going through. And so now. The thing that really got her into trouble, though, was the issue with her child, right? The right. Munchausen's by proxy. Yes. Um, which is a fucking wild. Oh, in, absolutely. In the world of mental illness, which is already like surprising and shocking and um, difficult to understand, it, this is one that like blows people's minds on a regular basis when you find out that a mother is like putting their own child through the torment of you know medical intervention for no reason other than to make themselves the center of attention yeah it's and just to have that like undeniable compulsion to do something so horrendous right or the compulsion is so strong you don't see the and that's the that's the problem yes exactly yeah, yeah it's you're almost oblivious to it right yeah absolutely and yeah, and so that's uh, you know, so she was accused of because obviously, I mean, it's a form of child abuse. Absolutely, um, you know, accused of that, and eventually it was acquitted. You know, because there was no like f- full proof. But of course, right. 
they still felt that there was something there. So yeah, they stayed still on pursued, it. right? And eventually, the kids, the children were taken away. Yeah, and so, yeah. and then she and her husband stay together for three years after that before they get divorced. I mean, yeah, which I mean that eighty-eight that to, to ninety-one is a little crazy, right? right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, is the thing is, is this? I wonder, is this a situation where the husband just believes her? Or could it be something, obviously, no one knows what goes on in marriage other than the two people in the marriage, right? I mean, um, yeah. So, it could have been the, it could have been a thing where, like, well, finances are like this, and, you know, I'm sick of you and you can sleep on the couch, but we're going to stay together for until we can figure out how to successfully split, right? It could have been a situation right. like that. And, also. I mean, and which is... Yeah, that's probably the case. Maybe you know we'll give it give it the benefit of a doubt, right? Like, yeah, I obviously he'd be pretty upset. I would think so, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, you see, you hear of things, especially like say there's there's a child death or um, yeah. a couple, you know, actively trying to get pregnant, finally finally does and loses lose the baby, and then can cause like this, you know, just rift in their relationship and eventually. You know, it's, it leads to the, its demise, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they say things like um, like the loss of a child. People who experience that, you you commonly hear that those situations either cement those that couple together for life or split. They make right. the relationship impossible. Yeah, I mean, which I I you know I. I could definitely see that. Yeah, I mean, um, I think in that situation, you either lean on each other or you blame each other. Yeah, and or you just, right. you distance yourself from the other person. You know, and yep. then it just becomes this commonplace thing, and yeah, eventually you just, you know, either can't be around each other or there's just nothing there tying them together anymore. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, which, Same reason a lot of empty nest couples end up divorced. Yeah. Right? A lot of people will stay together for 25 years raising a group of kids, and then they realize when it's just the two of them, like, well, I don't actually Why like Why are they? You. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm not busy, I can see you clearly. You know? Yeah. It happens all the time, man. And just like people get get pregnant to give them something or have a, have yes. a child to give them something back into their relationship. Yeah. It's a, it's to bring a them nice, together. It, yeah. It serves as a nice mask for your intolerable partner. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I'm sure I was just really surprised. <laughs> I was just really surprised to see three years. Like that. I feel I mean, like that's yeah, a long that time. seems like a long time for sure. Yeah. yeah. But after the divorce, she gets worse, right? Her mental health really takes a dive. Yeah, so after after the divorce, she spirals. Um, you know, and so, of course, I mean, her mental health is going to suffer as a result. Yeah. You know, she starts getting in with a bad, bad crowd, and, you know, she's not taking her, med, her med- medication. Um, you know, she's no longer this, like active stay-at-home mom that's you know focused her whole life as her children and now is this just 
I mean, you know, this lone person suffering because she's not taking medication, she's not actively treating herself, and yet at the same time, when she's not, she's at her worst. Yeah. And so, yeah, she, she's more open to putting herself in these situations, and yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm, I, I would never say, like, well, you put yourself in this situation, so therefore, you know, Right. I, you know, so I'm, I don't want to say it like that or come off like that. Yeah. But yeah, she's. I understand what you mean. She's like, making she's, herself more prone to yeah. being in those types of situations. Yeah. And her circumstances are declining, right? Like, right. Of course. The farther she gets away from the life she thought she was going to have for her whole life, the, the worse things get. And the worse it gets. And then that's where yeah. she starts you know starts developing a drinking problem and dabbling in drugs and yeah you know of course and, uh, which that's gonna have a major take a major toll on on her overall well-being not to yeah. you know not just her mental well-being which i mean yeah. that's gonna make that even worse though yeah i mean public service announcement you should not ever replace your paxil with meth <laughs> it's not good no <laughs> it's not good. Just take what your doctor tells you to take. That's almost like a ex- major extreme from one end to the other, though. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, actually, is it right that the 32 times that she ends up committed happen starting in 91? Like, did I hear that right during the story? Like, that... Is that when it ha- starts happening? I mean, that's from my understanding. Yes, that is that is the time period it took place. Yeah, from ninety one to ninety eight, thirty two times in seven years. Yeah, I mean, which yeah, you're, she's just consistently in trouble. Like, I mean, you know, I, I, I as far as like her early life, I know yeah. that she she did have you know. Obviously, she struggled with some mental health issues that were eventually was eventually diagnosed. So maybe at some point she did, you know, some point in there. But I mean, from the way, from my understanding of everything, and again, I mean, if I if I am if I'm inaccurate, there we'll make sure we get it corrected. But in '91, after their divorce, um, that she spiraled, and then she started with her drinking problem, dabbling in drugs, and then. Between 91 and 98 was where her 30, 32 stents and mental health facilities. The most, yeah. the last one, of course, being the one in 98 before her disappearance. That's when things became so destructive that it started getting the attention of law enforcement and medical right, professionals. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's where, I mean, you know, her family is pushing for them to, for them to just keep her permanently. But they don't. They keep releasing her. And, you know, like, which... I mean, at that point, maybe... Maybe that was the wrong call on their part. Yeah, I I can't can't say it. Or maybe it's the fact that she... Was taken... You know, wasn't taken seriously. And maybe it wasn't so much of an issue. That, you know, everybody... As much as everybody thought it was. And, of course, that can cause, you know... A lot of a lot of negative effects too. Yeah. I mean, which kind anguish. of anguish, right? We go back to that question: yeah. Could she have orchestrated this herself? 
Right. You know, that I mean, could, could be this... one one cause that maybe we'll even want to. Yeah. I mean, being, especially if she got to the point where she felt like she was like stuck in a cycle. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, maybe this is like a fake your own death type situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Just to get away from everything. Right. So this reminds me of a movie I just recently watched, uh, which is, you know, the, yeah. the character in this movie ends up having to rewrite her past, basically, or, you know, form a new identity to get over her past, basically. And so, gotcha. yeah. See, that's, yeah, that's, that sounds like this. That's, that's a possibility. Um, and, you know, I've, um, let's say like I have a mild experience with these sort of like groups of young people who get into drugs and, and alcohol real, real bad. And they're like, they form this sort of click, right? Yeah. This like, like a tight, like they think they're best friends, but it's really the pills or the meth oh, or it's, the heroin or whatever. It's whatever right? the, whatever they're indulging in together yeah. is the only type of bond or whatever they share at that point. Yeah. And let's just say it would not, I don't think it would be difficult for someone in a group like that to convince someone else in a group like that to help them fall, go through with something like Especially this. Especially not in that state of mind. Yeah. You know? Exactly. I mean, yep. in, in that state of mind, it's very easy to, I mean, to manipulate someone. You know, yeah. that's, that's when they're, they're at their most vulnerable. Yep. And it, I mean, yeah. Like someone could easily use that against them or yeah, convince them to do something, you know? And so, yeah. yeah, So let's say just as a theory, she goes on this, you know, multiple day bender a week. It's about a week right between when she goes missing and when the call comes in. Yeah. So she was, uh, actually announced missing as of April 11th. And the call came out on the 15th. Okay, so there you go. So, like, she goes on this four-day bender, and in during that time period, she convinces one of the one of the women she, you know, parties with that, like, this is what I need to do. I need your help. Whatever. She makes the call to the to the answering machine. Her friend steps in. Hey, I've kidnapped you. Um, give me the phone. This is your kidnapper. Exactly. (laughs) And then slams it down, and then they, you know, hop in a van and drive to Canada. Maybe. Like, you know? Yeah. Just as a theory. I I mean, according to movies, it's really easy to change your identity. Yeah. To create a whole new identity, basically. Hollywood thinks so. It takes like, it takes like a day to find one of those guys who make fake IDs and social security cards and according to Hollywood those guys are all over the place I mean if Silk Road was still a thing <laughs> they are right. I mean I'm sure of course they're, they're still you know lots of uh, black market yeah, places sure. still but but according to Hollywood, you can just go in your local dive bar oh, yeah, and throw man. a rock, like, hey. and you're probably going to hit someone who knows a guy. You can give me a whole new passport and everything, right? By tonight? Actually, no, I, I need it in the next 40 minutes. Oh, I got you. 
Well, sure. let me just... I have one waiting here for you, actually. <laughs> oh, you mean this? <laughs> exactly. I had a hunch you'd be coming in today. Person whom I've never met before. Uh, yeah, it, that. But I mean, that being said, it's obviously not that easy. But that right. that being that being understood, there are there have been plenty of people who have successfully faked their deaths oh, and course. vanished. Right? There are people that are found twenty, thirty years later. You know, what I mean, that have been living this other life, and mm-hmm. then it's found out that that they faked their own death. Yeah. Shit, I'm pretty sure that's what Carol Baskin's husband did. <laughs> I'm almost certain I, he faked his own death. I mean, yeah. I think it's yeah. very, very possible. Dude, I'd fake my own death to get away from oh, her. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> that lady is just straight trash. Absolutely. Uh, anyone who keeps tigers in cages are trash. Period. If it's in your backyard or if it's a zoo, you're trash. Hey, I like zoos, though. Don't say that. I like animals, all right? I like getting to see them. Well, then you shouldn't like them being in there. Yeah, but how else am I going to get to see them? You don't get to. See, that's the problem. Exactly. Not a fucking $35 zoo ticket. You got to earn it. You have to go where they are and play on their field. Oh, whatever. Just saying. Then that are animal then you, jails. you might as well say the same thing about people that keep their their pets in crates. Yeah, that's not true. No. Yeah, it's the same thing. I and mean, my dog's crate is just her bed. That's where she sleeps. Then you shouldn't have one. That's. I mean, we've spent generations breeding dogs to live alongside people. I'm we just, haven't done that for I'm tigers. Just saying. Doesn't matter. Ty- Tigers aren't supposed there's to be been, eating old Walmart steaks. They're supposed to be hunting there's been, and killing their prey. There's been many stories of domesticated tigers. Yeah, that event that end in the guy getting eaten by his domesticated <laughs> tiger. Or the fucking tiger eating the dude and then escaping and then getting shot by some fucking local hillbilly sheriff's deputy. I mean, yeah. And... Yeah, because that's the life a tiger is supposed to lead. Shot to death in rural Louisiana. Well, obviously not. Tigers don't go here, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to play with a pet, like a little a little tiny tiger cub. I mean, Once it would I be can adorable. do that, then my life will be fulfilled. Then they can return them all to the wild <laughs> yeah, once can, you've pet one. they can take them all back. <laughs> <laughs> How altruistic of you. Hey. <laughs> I am to please. No, I get it. I get it. They're adorable. Absolutely. But yeah, I I think this could this could be a fake death, or it could be the sex trafficking. I angle. see actually I you know I think that's a very possible very possible thing. Um yeah, because yeah, I mean especially the time period. I mean, and they're where they're at, obviously they're in Florida. I mean Yep. Yeah, and this is like I mean this is high high point uh, I mean well late nineties at this point, but yeah, so I'm yeah. See that's it's, the thing, Florida Florida was always a hotbed for sex trafficking too because you know people think of the the water between Florida's 
coast and Cuba as, you know, they instantly think of Cubans escaping Cuba and trying to, you know, trying to make land. Um, But that strait was covered just as often by people trafficking humans out. Yeah. Of the U.S. Like, if you can bring them one way, you can take them the other way. Of course, of course. And once you... Once you have a group of, you know, captives on out of, you know, U.S. jurisdiction, it makes things a lot more difficult and a lot easier to get away with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's so, like I said, that that honestly makes a lot of sense. Yeah, which it does. Is, yeah, which would be l- terribly sad. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because that's yes. Not the way and anybody should ever... Right, exactly. Yeah. As someone raising a daughter, there are a few things that keep me up at night more than sex trafficking. Than, like... I mean, the these <sighs> days and right now in the world, how bad child like child sex trafficking and stuff is... Yes. Is... Re- I mean, it's... It's at it, it, it all, an all-time high right now. Yep. Um, I mean, you have like people that are that are in there doing literally, quote unquote, the Lord's work now. Like, I mean, there's there's mm-hmm. this uh, this hacker, um, Ryan. I can't remember his last name, but like one of the greatest ethical hackers in the entire world, and he's nice. like one of the people leading leading a lot of uh like they've i mean they've been finding a lot of people that are a part of these i mean even fathers of children they're yep. these children and people like that like yeah it's it's a really scary i mean it obviously it's the world is scary regardless i mean if you're calling him one of the greatest ethical hackers of all time we should probably link his shit in the show notes oh yeah for sure yeah yeah we'll make Absolutely. sure it's in there but yeah um I heard this terrifying, this horrifying story. The this dude's daughter, who was like late teens, she would come home from work. She came home from work like three nights in a row, and she would have. When he would go out in the morning, he kept noticing this blue zip tie on a, on one of her back door handles, and he would go over there. And cut it off and throw it in the trash and the next morning he'd come out and there's a blue zip tie on the back door handle again this happened three or four days in a row before he asked her about it right and she was she had no idea what he was talking about oh really so he brings it up in just casual conversation with his friend who works in law enforcement and his friend is like you absolutely have to cut those off as soon as you see them. And he's like, I don't want to tell you why, because you'll freak out. But if you see them, cut them off. And eventually the guy pries it out of him that like they these sex traffickers, they send out basically like a recon guy. And he'll follow women around until he finds one that he deems vulnerable yeah to being captured and that's one of the ways that they mark like the vehicle they do it on like the back door handle so you're less likely to see it in like a rear view 
or see it as you're getting in the car. And like, God, that shit terrifies I mean, me, yeah. dude. It's so scary. It's it's just one of the, one of those things that just makes me just I don't know. Like almost ill with the way that uh, the way that the world is. It's just yeah. And I mean this shit yeah. this shit's been going on forever. It's not it's not like it's new. Yeah. I mean yeah, there's absolutely. a lot of these new methods and things like that that people are using and it is like I said it's hitting a an all-time high point. Yeah. But at the same time I mean it's it's been going on for a very long time. Like this is, you know, yep. so yeah, I very much agree. I, that could that could be a huge uh, you know, answer to what what happened. You know, yeah. some type of some um, type of reason or you know, some whatever. But uh yeah. At the same yeah, time it's it's awful. Um and just another side note, and this might sound funny to people who aren't aware, but like you should go and check out the work that Ashton Kutcher is doing for anti sex trafficking laws. Like giving like he's given like a a series of super impassioned speeches to Kong in front of Congress like working with these companies that are trying to like really bring like modern tech into the hunt these bastards down fight yeah. you know and yeah he's doing doing the lord's work i mean that, yeah I'd, right like i said trying to get like, these monsters handled yeah yeah so yeah, I don't it just keeps sticking in my head that um that the number came from what she saw on the caller ID was the only thing related to that was a strip club. And you know, not to disparage strip club owners or, you know, yeah. entertainment's entertainment, but like that's sort of the obvious on the nose, maybe this is a sex trafficking ring hiding in plain sight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if a place in a if a place in Tampa is gonna be a sex trafficking ring, it might be the strip club. Right? You know? I mean, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree hundred percent. It's uh and also the uh the hacker I was talking about, his name is Ryan Montgomery. Okay. Um, but yeah, he's like uh he runs I mean, dude is super solid. Um, runs a uh, like a pen test company, uh, like security company and stuff, and he's also like I said, leading up on a lot of these uh, these cases. So yeah, yeah, right on. Which is which is really cool. I mean, like I said, just uh, you know, have like somebody that's that like he he's he knows his shit. It's it's awesome. So yeah. But yeah, so I mean, outside of that, and of course, the the weird, the other weird thing is is the missing finger, which I mean, that could have been, honestly, uh, that could be anything. Like I mean, you know, you don't just yeah. lose your finger for nothing. But you know, like that's true. That's a little weird with the idea that she faked her own death. Right? Would you cut off a finger to to fake your own death? That's fucking commitment. <sighs> I mean, unless. Or that 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 drug induced state, basically. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, I mean, she could have done it and not even felt a thing, or even a super manic state. 
Or, yeah. You know? True. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I suppose that... Damn. That's possible, too. See, the fact that, like... I mean, it, also, the, the other weird thing I thought about this was... Two years after she goes missing... There's that, like, clear plastic bag with her name just written on the side of it that was found yeah. at a convenience store. That is odd. So, yeah, which... I mean, it just I mean, happens to be there. And a store that her the, family frequents a lot, too, because it's very close to their yeah. neighborhood. Could that have just been someone, like, playing a really bad joke on them? I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know either, obviously. I I feel like I mean, it, that's too... I don't know. That's, like, too, like, specific. It is very specific. And I mean... And weird. It, right. It's a weird way to go about a bad joke, you know yeah. what I mean? Because, I mean, um, even, like, because the toothpaste was, was described as, like, this generic brand of toothpaste. Yeah. But it was the exact same one that the facility that she had just been let out of, released from, that they give to patients. Yeah. And it's, again, a yeah, very specific weird. generic brand of toothpaste. And which would line up weird. with her, you know, just being released. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but two years later, it just... That yeah. just doesn't add up. In the vein, I wanted to bring up, in the vein of her cutting her own finger off. Um, we did talk about, recently, Cindy James... And discussed the idea uh, that yeah. the possibility of her, you know, stabbing the knife through her own hand yep. to pin the note to her hand. And, like, I think if you're at, I mean, deep into a manic or psychotic state, you could definitely do some shit like that to yourself. Agreed. Agreed. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I think it's very possible. Could you go into a little detail about the pile of clothes that's found? Um, so, as far as the uh, the clothes, so there was another. It was another convenience store. Um, the the manager of the store, she happens to. They have an outside, uh, basically an outside freezer, right? Yeah. And she happens to go and check this this outside freezer. And and apparently they said that they hadn't checked in like three weeks. Which okay. I, mean, I find that a little strange. Like unless like it's kept for like specific things that they don't use very often or whatever, right? Sure. But I would think like I think of an outside free outside freezer and I think of like like an ice an ice chest or something like you know something that'd be yeah frequently you know frequently like reloaded or whatever um, you would think or restocked or right you would think but i mean it could have been maybe a backup freezer you know like they have one in the shop that people actually purchase from and then they restock it out of the other freezer yeah outside right yeah that's possible and so, but anyhow, she happens to to check this freezer and finds a neatly stacked pile of clothing. And it was exactly what um 
what they had described Diane wearing that day, the last day that she was seen. And so... And this is on the 18th, the full week after right, she goes yep. missing. Right? So this is where, like, the story's really getting getting some heat in the media. You know, I mean, yeah. everybody knows the story that's in the area. So, of course, this lady, she sees these clothes, and immediately, I mean, first of all, very weird to find clothes in a freezer. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, and so um, she, I guess, maybe places two and two together and thinks okay this is weird why are these here oh these look like what i've just recently seen this missing girl to be wearing boom i mean it'd be really easy to kind of piece that together knowing with how fresh and you know how fresh everything is and how weird that would be to find yeah right so Did, did they check the freezer for a head i mean there wasn't anything else in there yeah (laughs) yeah i that's what i was you know I was, uh, I was I mean, wondering. That's, that's what I first thought. Is like you hide bodies in freezers, right? Why was the finger know? not found on a freezer? Exactly. They didn't care about also, the finger. Just to go back to the finger for a second. <laughs> okay. The girl that originally finds the finger, she just kind of like she sees it and she's like, "Ewy, like you know, that's not real." <laughs> she thinks it's a prop and goes, yeah, goes to work, goes home, tells her boyfriend, "Oh, I I found this finger and." And you know, in the park, <laughs> I didn't touch it or do anything with it because it looked weird. And he's like, "I bet it's real." <laughs> so he goes and <laughs> checks the next day, and it's still there, mind you. Like that, just the the whole chain of events that happens there is really weird. And, yeah. But luckily, luckily it was still there, and then you know, and it's still there when the police arrive. So. I'm surprised, like, no animal didn't, you know, run off with it or yeah. something. That, I'm sure it'd be a tasty Maybe, snack for a flock of birds or did something. We just, did we just stumble upon our first thing that points to alien abduction? You know how uh, animals and carry-on stay away from, like, mutilated yeah. cows? Yeah. Hey, there we go. Yeah. Maybe that's why the finger lasted so long. Huh. Laying there. Because it was radiating whatever. I wonder how shit clean the cut from was. The, right? Like if it was jagged was or if blood it was perfect, if finger? it had been drained of blood. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly was the finger's preserved. asshole cut out? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think we might have went a little too far there. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> You're welcome. But yeah, uh, for sure. But yeah, so now going going back to the clothing. So yeah, I mean she she just puts it together and you know and it, it is confirmed. She gets a hold of uh, of Diane's sister and they all confirm. Yes, these are her clothes. Yeah, and so the police look into it, but nothing pans out. You know, like it seems like yeah. they're doing a whole lot of nothing. Yeah, it seems like a lot of dead ends. But, you know, I mean, yeah, a case like this, it can be very difficult. Especially if she did fake her death. Uh, She was abducted. Not necessarily by aliens, but, you know, was abducted. I mean, yeah, it's... Unless someone can kind of place her at a place and time within that 
that like week period, two week period, whatever. Yeah. You know, to give them anything else, but the only information that we can get is everything before the fact. And then that one random call on the 15th that they were never yep. able to do anything with. Yeah. Like no information ever ever really came about it. It's very odd. It's all very odd, right. Ryan. Yeah. I like this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's the those I'm, weird thinker ones, you know. Yeah. I'm I'm of two minds on this. Okay. I'm So, part of me part of me thinks that this was her faking her own death. Right? I think a lot of things point toward that. Yeah. Um, I mean, or at least there's room for it. Right? Especially given her history, I could definitely see someone, especially an addict, feeling persecuted and wanting to escape a situation like that where she's getting, you know, she's getting forcibly um, committed on a pretty fucking regular basis. I mean, yes, very, uh, yeah, very regular at this point. Um, but on the other hand, I think a lot of things actually point toward an abduction, at least like sex trafficking. Right. At most. Right. Like now, I think a lot of things point toward that. The other thing to remember is later on years, you know, uh, the case with, um, uh, Evers, um, and him, well, him trying to avenge the, you know, the people that battered his girlfriend. Um, right. you know, but later on that story with, with him, uh, Gary, Gary Evers. Um, but yeah, with that, that with him and him shooting and, you know, killing this guy that wasn't actually any part of, you know, who was even there and just came to clear his name. You know, it just so happened that Evers was was actually one of the prime suspects early on in the investigation. Okay. But, obviously, after his death, nobody could, you know, if he had any yeah. information, it died with him. Alright, you can't pursue it beyond that. Right. But, which makes me question, though, did they follow up with him while he was... While he was incarcerated, while he was alive, yeah. So, I mean, he went to prison in 2004. So, like, what happened? Why did they stop, you know, why did they stop pursuing him? Or why was he no longer a suspect? Why was he a suspect in the first place? Yeah, I mean, it was mainly because he was... In this area of where she was last seen... But is that the motel? Right, right. Yeah, okay. he's the uh, the co the co manager of the hotel. So yeah, and I mean, I, I mean, you have to assume that if the police stop pursuing someone, it's because they found a reason to stop pursuing them. Right, right. Yeah, you have yeah, to I mean, assume. I would think so. Yeah, but he. It's just, it's weird. It's just, again, a lot of it just doesn't add up. I'm just, I'm back and forth between those two options. Yeah. I I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I'm, 
definitely sold on the the, possi- the possibility of this being all orchestrated. Yeah. Um. Mainly because I mean it, we played it out entirely. I mean yeah. how that could work and how easily that could work. Yeah. And there is no limit to what people will do in a drug-induced stupor. Yeah. What crazy plans they'll hatch. What, like, you know. The best version of that is how people on cocaine constantly talk about wanting to start businesses together. You know? Yeah. I mean, like, shit, even people people that are drunk. Like, we yeah. should start a band. Or we should, you know. Yep. We should start yep. a brewery. Always make those. Plans. I mean, those are conversations I know I've had. So, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, and the worst case, the worst version of that, obviously, is around this, right? Yeah, I mean, there's probably worse, right? Than faking I mean, your own death. You could definitely <laughs> be plotting, you know, the murder of someone. Or yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess she would have been plotting the murder of herself. At least her own identity. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's where I am. Unless you have anything else, like... I mean... Not not any really... Not anything really, like... To kind of sell any more of it. Because, again, I mean... The only other possibility... Possibility where anything ties together... Because, I mean, after... Basically, after they... You know, the... It was like... What in 2000 the parents kind of were reminiscing about what what happened they were reminiscing openly and so that's what kind of it made the headlines again you know and the police confirmed yeah they've yep. been they the the investigation is still open you know it's never been closed it's still you know it's, they've investigated for a while and but there's of course been a lull in activity for you know a while and now it's you know no no not even a thing of course, it yeah. remains open to this day, um, you know. But at the same time, like, I'm sure it's sitting in some cold case box, right, on a shelf somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is one of those that feel like it just might never be solved. You know, I I think honestly, between those two, those are the two the two that make yeah. the most sense to me. Yeah, same. Same. Cool. Yeah, it's uh like I said, it's another it's another strange strange story. Unfortunately, we'll never know, but uh a cool one nonetheless. Not for Diane though. Yeah. No, not for Diane. It's not- <laughs> or she could actually or she could, could be living yes. her best life somewhere hey, up in Canada. She could, yeah, yeah, she could be on the beach and some random tropical Canada. island in <laughs> Canada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she could be on the beach in Canada doing some ice fishing. Um and living exactly. her best life. So maybe you did. You know, with either way, yeah. I hope everything has been, you know, at least for her sake, settled. Yeah, I I mean, all we can hope for is that at some point it'll be resolved. Right, that her family will understand what happened. Yeah, Diane, if you're out there, call your mom. <laughs> yes, or call one eight hundred eight seven three tips and submit a tip. 
through right. Crime Stoppers of Tampa Bay. And that's going to wrap up episode 100, The Disappearance of Diane Agat. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown. unknown.